Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike, and joining me as always... Hey guys, Brian. And thanks for joining us for this episode of Amateur Altours. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at AltoursPod, or email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at theamateuraltourspodcast at gmail.com. It would also mean a lot to both Brian and I if you could leave a review or rating on whatever platform it is you listen to the show on. The feedback and support is definitely appreciated. So, Brian, how are you doing? I haven't, we haven't had a um, conversation on this podcast in a little while. Eh, I mean, we've, we've been okay. I mean, we've been doing school and whatnot. I mean, I just finished up my first year of law school. You're on the tail end of your of your nursing program, so we're doing good. I actually finished, yeah, my first year a few weeks ago, so now I've just been kind of catching up on movies, reading books, doing doing what I can in my free time, so, yeah, it's been good watching a lot of movies for the show, not for the show, so, and, and on those movies that, that I haven't been watching for the show will inevitably show up here, so that that's exciting to tell. Well, yeah, no, it's great to have you back, man, I've been missing you on the show. But uh, yeah, so let's let's get into this episode. This episode title might have a, a head scratch to some of the viewers, and what we'll be talking about today is Dawn of the Dead. And no, we're not talking about the Zack Snyder 2004 version. We're talking about the original 1979 version, directed by the late and great George Romero. Now, why? Why are we talking about this? And for me, I I, I wanted to put this back on the docket, and it's because as I was looking at our show. And looking at the downloads and the popularity of episodes and whatnot, Dawn of the Dead still remains at the top of the chart, believe it or not. Which is great because people are, to me that means people are scrolling through the content and listening on whatever they want. But I also feel kind of bad because I feel like the movie deserves a better conversation and discussion than what we had originally had on that first episode, like way, that way was back. like four years ago, too. Yeah, I was going to say, it was our first ever film discussion, which I thought at the time was fitting because as a movie podcast, I wanted to talk about the film that, for me, started my love of film. And, you know, and that episode works in itself. I actually re-listened to it when we were doing the retrospective episode, but it's also kind of cringy for me. And we've talked about our past episodes. I won't retread that um, that subject matter again. But I was just thinking as I was re-listening... We could have a much better conversation about that, especially if that episode of Dawn of the Dead is always like the most popular episode. So hopefully this new revised, revisited version can be, I mean, what people go to. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I encourage you to just keep listening on whatever episode you want, but hopefully this is that reamped version of that conversation because we found our groove and we're a little bit more comfortable with the podcast. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, it was interesting when you said I want to do that again, but it also made sense now that we're more nuanced in our discussion, and we and we kind of we did find that formula of how to better analyze a movie that suits our discussion style, and I think we definitely just as we've said in the that past episode where we talked about how far we've come in the episode. I forget what that title is, um, but I think we just we we can come at it from a much more clean perspective. So yeah. I guess we can just get into it. Awesome, yeah. And and before we begin, I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna retread on this because I've mentioned in in this show and in uh, in guest appearance on other on other podcasts how much I love Dawn of the Dead. So I'm not gonna retread my history of the film. Like everyone knows that it's my favorite film and what it means to me. But Brian, I want to ask you, what are I mean, what are your early memories of watching Dawn of the Dead, and what does Dawn of the Dead mean to you? The more, I mean, you're not the super fan like I am. I would say. 
No, I'm definitely not the super fan. I could still appreciate the film. I probably watch it once a year, just out of it's a good film and I like watching it and it's fun in its own right. In terms of George Romero, I don't really think he holds as much as a place on my on my mantle of great directors, if any at all, um, as like compared to you. That's not saying he's not a talented director because he is, and he his his he has as we know it, redefined the modern zombie. Um, I guess just going into it, though, I just have, like, a, a, a far-back appreciation, kind of a second-removed appreciation for George Romero, and, I mean, when you said, let's, let's rewatch this, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, I'm ready to do it, I'm ready to jump into it, but other than that, I kind of just have the, the least exposure as, like, one could have to him, as far as, like, f- film appreciation goes i've seen a lot of his films but that being said i don't really delve into too much of his stuff and for this film which version of the film did you watch because i have the collector's edition which i don't know if it's in circulation anymore but it has the european version the extended theatrical and some documentaries but which of those three versions have you watched for this i think i just watched theatrical i should have i should have watched the extended but i i just watched theatrical so you can you can fill me in on the, the extended i mean i have seen all of them many times i've watched the i've watched them with the commentaries i i love the commentaries because each one has something different the I, my favorite one is the one with George Romero, his wife, and the producer of, I, I guess, whoever made and, and distributed the DVD. But the European version has the main cast do a discussion. And I really like that <laughs> that episode because it's just the insight that all four of them are able to give. But I was just curious for the sake of this. I mean, it's it's not – I mean, the extended and European just have – very minute differences maybe a scene is slightly different one scene's a little bit longer but we're just mostly going to be discussing the theatrical version i think and just adding our little tidbits every now and again but i was just curious so let's just jump right into this so i kind of have this episode structured into three separate parts the first part will be like the plot and the themes second part more about the characters and then the third part, the cinematography. But I really want to get into the plot and the themes, because for any George Romero film, the it's it's more maybe the plot, but definitely the themes that he's trying to get at and and his commentary. So this one, Dawn of the Dead, 1978, obviously is all about consumerism. And I, I kind of wrote down a little brief of my understanding of what the consumerism is from America. So obviously, and what kind of led up to this film... In the 1950s, that's kind of my idea of consumerism in America, and that, you know, we're coming off, or America's coming off the Second World War, there's pretty much no competition because everyone in Europe is just bombed to hell, destroyed, uh, Japan was nuked. I mean, America was helping build them back up, but at this time, like post-war, there was no competition. The American economy was booming. The baby boomer generation is just beginning. All the soldiers coming back, starting these families. The New Deal is enacted by FDR, so you know these. Well, that was more... like twenty years before. Well, it's I I feel like I mean not not talking trying to get into history, but I feel like this is when we're starting to see those economic benefits of of the New Deal. But, uh, so here, you know, the industry is starting to boom, most notably the automotive industry. Small businesses are really coming up. Those 
pop, uh, uh, mom and pop shops that you you kind of think of. It's more of this idyllic America, the stamp of made in America, like white picket fence America. Yeah, kind of the what American we all dream. like the the Sandlot America. But this kind of continues into the early and mid '60s. But then the sh- the tide starts to change. The shift occurs with the Vietnam War, and I thought, and I think that this really starts that mistrust of the government. I mean, rightly so, and. It, it, this this idea of inept government, you know, we starting to have these gas shortages, the economy starting its decline because of this uh, unwinnable war. Uh, we're also in the midst of the sexual revolution, disestablishment movements, drug experimentation, and just this overall general liberation from the social norms that were the modern United States of that time. And then this kind of continues and snowballs into the into the 1970s. And in my opinion, this is when this is the decade that the United States starts reaping the consequences of the past actions in that the AIDS epidemic is just about to peak in the 1980s. There's the war on drugs that is just starting up. Police brutality is on the rise. The gas shortages and the economies are starting to decline, I mean, globally. And, and it's here that I feel like consumerism became something more akin to buy stuff to numb the pain than buy stuff to support the economy. And then this leads into George Romero. So, Brian, what is, what is your opinion on kind of the history of consumerism leading up to this film? Well, I mean, you're going to be more versed in that because you've just you're simply more read on George Romero's, I guess, motivations to can, like with the themes of his film. But it's obvious the the it's so obvious that the consumerism tones are there but also taking a slight tangent away from that is also racism i i, I actually picked up on that on the, on the on the shifts of especially at least in the first at least 20 minutes of that little commentary on racism when they're when they're going into the housing projects and there's just that one guy indiscriminately killing minorities and there, and there was that little thing that kind of, I guess, was a holdover from *Night of the Living Dead* into this film. I guess it didn't make it into the into the final cut of the first film, but there, there are those two. I think those two overarching like commentaries. I don't know so much into the other into the later half of the film, but definitely in that first half, where there is definitely a commentary on racism in the United States. Well, it's interesting that you bring up racism because. With Night of the Living Dead, and, and, and this is kind of George Romero, at least in his in this 1960s, 70s, 80s period, in that, like, one me- one note that I have is that it's definitely worth mentioning that George Romero got the idea for Dawn of the Dead by visiting the Mon- Monroeville Mall and just kind of thinking, like, oh, this would be, this is pretty cool. How would people in a zombie apocalypse survive here? And then he wrote the script and kind of developed the consumerism idea around it. So it's not like he saw the mall and thought, oh, consumerism, let's write a zombie film around the consumerism. Is that he wrote the consumerism around a zombie film. And I think with Night of, like, kind of going back to Night of the Living Dead, the whole racism, uh, because, you know, we have the main character is a, is a black male. And the, you have these very poignant images at the end of that film. Spoiler alert! I mean, for anyone that hasn't seen this this nineteen sixties classic is like, film, is like what sixty years old. Well, regardless, so the end of the film is the main black character is killed by the white men because they think he's a zombie. But then we're getting these, you know, still photo, uh, still photographs of him being, you know, 
lynched up and 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 you know burned in the body eerily similar to like what you were seeing in alabama or any in those southern states within the civil rights movement yeah and what i think is interesting is that all of that imagery was i think kind of like afterthought because george romero didn't cast this this actor because he's black he casted him because he was the best actor and he had the best audition he was the best for the role this all of this stuff kind of comes afterwards in the he editing process know, he had to have known though that what well, that would supposedly have meant. he just cast he cast this actor because he was the best role and like and i think that kind of goes this is kind of the theme in george romero's at least early work in like the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, is that his films are made in the editing room and that he shoots as much coverage as he can and then he's in the editing room and says, okay, what's the story from all of this? Like, I, I laid the groundwork, I have the skeleton work for my script, I shot all, I shot literally everything that I can, let's put this film together. And I think that's where Romero is greatest, is in the editing room. His editing is 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 awesome at least in these early works That's because we'll eventually get because we'll get to his later his, his more contemporary works but i just wanted to say that i f- i feel like that when he's making the films these ideas are kind of on the back burner and he's interested in just shooting as much coverage and then when he's in the editing room when all the you know production work is done when he's in post production he said okay let's make this this whatever whatever contemporary theme I want to talk about, that's what we're going to talk about right that's now. That's very interesting that, like... But that's saying, though, I believe you, because you're so much more well-read into George... R- George R- not George R. Martin, George Romero's style, but it's like... I feel like even when he's shooting, though, there is, like, that nugget of, like, well, I'm going to go back to this and put this in the film, because, like, going back to Night of the Living Dead, I don't want to go back too much on that, but just for this one little example... I think that was, like, that, yeah, that could be the instance that, oh, well, that guy was the best actor, but at the same time, you're filming, you're probably filming in 1966, 1967, when, when did the movie come out, 68? Yeah, I think 69. So you're filming this at the height of the civil rights movement. America is a whole different thing. I mean, kind of similar to kind of what we're seeing today with the race relations, except even worse, to an upteenth degree. There's no way that he's going to film a black lead role. Mind you, there weren't that there I couldn't think of on my on my two hands mainstream films where there is a black leading role. And not only that, not only that is he um what is he? Not only that is he dictating the white man, the, the quote white man hitting white women. Things that get you lynched in the south. He is doing these things. I, I don't I fail to believe that he was not cognizant of that fact. So I'm so I'm sure that they were built in the editing room, but he has to be aware of what he's making at the time. It's not that he just shoots a, a bunch of stuff and says, "Okay, here's what I want to make. Let's see what we can find." He has to know what he what he's doing. You well, know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, I mean there there were actors like Sidney Poitier and of of that 1960s, 50s, 60s, 70s generation. Outside of but, the exploitation genre, you'd be hard pressed to find leading black men in, well, yeah, in, no, in huge, exactly. but, in huge roles. I mean, 
I mean, you know, that's just saying, like, I just kind of feel like that this is kind of his style, so I wouldn't be, I mean, I think it was definitely, he was thinking about it, but it definitely wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be revolutionary oh, in this def- sense. Oh, definitely not, but I think it was definitely something that he was thinking about actively while making the films, and same applies for Dawn of the Dead. Um, It's probably more hectic and chaotic in that sense, like you're saying, but I think it, there's definitely that sense that here's the general idea of what I want to do. Let's see what we can do with it. Well, George Romero, especially as a director, and I think this is definitely more seen in his more, I guess, modern, like, more, I don't want to say contemporary, but more modern filmmaking, is that he has so many ideas and he just wants to talk about them all. And and I feel like his early work, it's more streamlined and it starts to get a little bit, a little bit, not worse, but a little bit more open when, when we get to the like you know the early two thousands and to now, but you know I feel like the first third of the movie has at least like three or four different things that he's trying to get across. You know with the racism that you were talking about, or you know the difference between urban and rural communities and how how they respond to the zombie apocalypse. You know the sit the city the urban city or setting it's just kind of mass chaos and no one really knows what's going on where the rural people are just kind of like oh yeah this is another day we're having fun cracking beer shooting zombies in the head and then and, and just how the response to chaos the the from like the second act to the end of the film is all about consumerism and and we'll get to the consumerism in a minute but let, let's talk about the first like act of the film when consumerism is not on the forefront of this film's agenda. So pretty much everything bef- from the beginning before the mall. Yeah. So okay. like, so the beginning. Uh, so we have. So I kind of break this down into three segments before the mall, or may- maybe four. So we have the studio where we're kind of getting the beginning exposition, and it's setting this tone of all the chaos that's happening. And then we get the the rural Hick County redneck reacting to the the, it looks the zombies <laughs> what it looks fun yeah it's kind of like what we all think about how a zombie apo- how everyone would react to a zombie apocalypse just like shooting zombies in the head like yeah fuck it but then and then we get the um the air the the airport kind of sequence and then we get to the and then we get to the uh the mall but let's talk about these first segments let's talk about the beginning of the film brian what did you, what did you think about the opening of this film this film just throws you into the action and kind of explains it to you through this talk show radio host but it's more like i kind of on the background where you're kind of just seeing how all these people are responding to these events i i honestly really like how we're just kind of thrown into the situation there's no build-up we're just we're in it we're living in it Let's just get to the action. Not the action, but the, the, the drama of the situation. Society is already well well beyond the point of saving in the sense that we're already within it. We're already getting sucked into it. And I, I do want to say, it, it would you get the music blaring, the awesome, like, I think it's the theme song blaring at that point. And it's just chaos, and you hear that awesome, the guy with the eye patch giving his no, little that comes later in the film this this segment what? is just the talk show host yeah with like the lionel richie character oh wait the... no no no. you're right sorry i was thinking of that was later in the film but no it's the same idea of that the 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 two i the the two scenes are still kind of parallel in that it's like the dead come back they're they're what do you think's going on and this and that yeah it's not the guy with the eye patch but it's still 
it's still like heavy handed dialogue and like exposition where it's like, this is what's happening. We're going to keep going. And, and then how do we kind of jump from that, from that point forward? And it just, I think, I think George, uh, George uh, Romero really captures that chaos very well. And that just sheer confusion and what that it's I like the panic the is that we got to get out. What I love about the sequence is the kind of the de-evolution that occurs within the scene. Like, we're already thrown into it. And then as we progress through the scene, you know, people are still doing their jobs, but they're angry. But then by the end of the scene, you know, like, people are throwing the script in the air. People are abandoning the cameras. Like, people, like, you're starting to see the de-evolution of society. And that, like, you know, like, this, is, this isn't true. This is whatever. But there's, like, no, it's, like, kind of um, mass hysteria. But I like in the beginning, people are still doing their jobs, but then by the end of the scene, people are, you know, just flying coop, leaving the studio, just like, this is nonsense. And and it's par- and it, it's strong parallels to what's going on in the actual society of people in this universe. And I, and I really think it's effective of getting both exposition, but also kind of setting the... It's kind of filling the audience in of what's going on throughout the country and the world, just in this one insular little room in Pittsburgh. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, it's good. And we're also getting the introduction to two of our main characters, Fran and Flyboy, Steven, and, and that Fran is this determined, I guess, strong-willed character who is not abandoning her post. She wants to, I mean, I don't want to say help people, but she's not abandoning her post. She's strong-willed. She's the only, I guess, voice of reason. That's everyone's trying to, like, go away. And she's like, no, we need to report this. And, like, this, there's, like, people, like, with the rescue stations that are knocked out. We can't do this. She kills them. Very strong-willed, not going against, it's kind of, um, the, the actress definitely wanted Fran. She was a big proponent of pushing Fran to be the strong female character and not being subservient to men, but also just threats in general. And then we get Flyboy, just kind of the introduction, like, oh, we're we're flying the coop. He's the he's the weather he, or he's the helicopter pilot for the like traffic report. And so I really like the scene a lot, actually. I think it's a great number to this film and setting the stage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I just said that before. It's, it's it is a really good setting the stage like you just said and just kind of propelling the story forward. It gets us hooked in. There is that hook. We got it, and we just keep going. Exactly. So let's so let's just transition like the film. It just gets right into this project scene. So you might have a little bit more to say about this because you were you know hinting at and teasing at the racism that is. Or the the very explicit racism that is shown in this segment. So what did you have to say about that, Brian? Well, it's just... And this is... I think this is the only tinge of, like... Of overt commentary by um, Ramiro. In the fact that... I mean, you you started with... You're in the projects. And some... Do they mention the city? I'm assuming it's, like, Pittsburgh. But, like, I don't know if there are projects in Pittsburgh. But wherever they are... It's it's more of they start with like some of the first dialogue where it's like where that racist uh, fat guy with the shotgun is saying all these all these horrible things about the people living in them. And, you know, and then you get Roger who's just like, ah, stay with me to the young guy. And I think I think the real commentary shows when you kind of when you when they storm the building and, and then the guy just starts indiscriminately killing minorities 
I think I think that that's a not so subtle commentary of what's going on in the United States at that time. Well, yeah, but, it's like a, it's like what I said. Like you know, the police brutality is starting to really kind of become it's it's being made aware to the public. And I think this is George, like you said, George Romero's commentary on that because it's literally it's not subtle at all. Like you mentioned, it's literally this this white overweight male with a shotgun. Like the most American and gun like I can fun. think of. He's having fun he, doing he's, it as well. Well, he's literally just like throwing racial slurs out there, and then he he's like the first one in. He kicks a door down and just blows uh, a, a minority's head clean off. Well, and you know the story. You have to know the story of that one. Like it's it was the bust. Of... Oh yeah, no, I I talked about this in the in the in the uh, in the first episode. I feel so what, like everyone, what, everyone who's seen the movie knows, like, or is like a fan of that knows what that is. Well, for those for those that aren't aware, Brian, what is this? Uh, what are we alluding to? What is this? You know, what is this man's head? Well, it's it's a bust of uh, what's the actress's name? Galen Ross. Galen Ross's head that they were using for a scene, a much darker scene at the end of the film, which we could talk about when we get to that point. And they just, yeah, they filled it up. They said, oh, we got this this head we got to do something with it right and then they they made it if you if you freeze frame it 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 literally just looks it's like the fakest thing ever with like a head with like um all this fake mustache and beard and like colored brown and then it just they just put dynamite in or whatever and just blew it up no it's even better oh no they shot it with a shotgun yeah tom savini which we haven't mentioned yet this is tom i think this is tom savini's like like Magnus Opus with in regards to his makeup work and just the sheer amount of people that he he applied makeup to but also just like the effects that he's able to do and then especially in the 1970s but yeah they shot it with a shotgun and that explosion was real i remember my this is kind of a little anecdote my my freshman year of college i was watching this movie and i was doing my laundry and i and this was like you know, one of the first, like, first month of school, I didn't want to leave my laundry down there, because it was, like, you know, open, I didn't want people stealing my clothes, so I was watching Dawn of the Dead, and one of my, uh, I was in a co-ed dorm, and so one of the girls came down, she was doing laundry, too, she's like, oh, like, what are you doing, I'm like, yeah, you know, just watching a movie, and she comes, to, and she sat next to me, oh, you mind if I watch, I'm like, well, I'm watching, like, this really old horror film, like, if you want to watch it, sure, it's, like, my favorite movie, and she came in at this time, like, at, like past the racist slurs, and and she put a headphone in, and the first thing she saw within the first five minutes was this head being blown off, and she was like, holy shit, and she just, like, kind of jumped back in her seat, and I kind of had this little smirk to my, like, to myself, because I was like, yes, I'm so glad that this film gets a reaction out of, you know, someone in our generation, but it's, at that time, it was 2014, and I was so glad that this film still got a reaction out of someone. And someone who doesn't watch those kind of films. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she was definitely a layman to film. And she was, like, in, in, so enraptured by the film. And so I was like, yeah, you're coming in at, like, one of the most violent parts of the film. And she was like, yeah, we got to, like, watch this again. I never finished the movie with her. But she was, for, like, 40 minutes, we were just watching, you know, the film. But this also, this segment, I want to say, we also get introduced to the other two uh, characters, Roger and, um, and Peter. And, you know, the, and I just, I, I love both of these characters. They're ob- they're really easily my favorite, just their dynamic and their chemistry together. But before we get into them, cause I, I have the characters as part two. I, what I really love about this segment is just, 
it sets the tone of the violence for the rest of the film. And Tom Savini in the commentary was saying how people had seen, you know, the headshot and also just Wooly just indiscriminately killing people. And then we get our first interaction, all or interactions and altercations with the zombies. And it's pretty like visceral stuff. And, you know, we had a, a young police officer kills himself. You know, they, they literally empty their, their, um, their guns into this woman zombie. We get a zombie that bites, like a muscle clean away from the neck of of another of like just some random character and it really just sets the tone for the violence for the rest of the film but tom savini was saying they were having psycho-esque moments where people were like just running out of the theater from how violent it was and tom savini said like oh this is the beginning of the film what's going to happen at the end of the film and so i really enjoy this segment for I guess what you said, the commentary, but also just, like, the pure violence that they're able to get across. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, it, it's funny that we hear, when you hear people saying, like, oh, I ran, like, these stories of people running from the film of this, like, violence, like, you hear the same thing with Jaws, or even Saving Private Ryan, how desensitized we are to film now. It's always funny when you're like, oh my gosh, Someone took a bite out of someone's neck, and it was it looked good for the times, but people running out from that is it, from what we have now. What they get away with, it, I always find that funny. Well, I think it's also great. It's like it it kind of has this like comic booky feel, and that the blood is like almost pink. It's so red. It's so bright. It's like kind of it's what you're seeing is violent, but since the blood isn't real. It's kind of taking you out of that moment. You realize, like, yeah, this is a fantasy film. But in the commentary, George Romero, like, the two criticisms that he has of his own film is that there aren't enough zombies and that he wishes the blood was a little bit more darker and more realistic. But I kind of like that the blood isn't realistic. It, it, it kind of adds this whole, like I said, fantasy idea to this film because it is just a fantasy. And I think that that bite still works. I still cringe when he bite, takes a bite out of her neck. It takes a bite out of her arm. And I think the blood, like this really like bright red, almost pinkish blood, is pretty endearing. And I think it, it, it adds this comic book and really just, I don't want to say fun. Because, like you know, character. Watching this. Yeah, it just, it just adds personality. something to this film. Yeah, personality. Yeah, yeah no, I agree. Yeah. And do then you we think, get... do you think they did it though? Sorry to interrupt. Do you think they did it to avoid like an NC-17 or an X rating? Uh, I don't know. I mean, in the commentaries, George Romero didn't really mention that. I think they just ordered this blood from wherever they ordered it from, and just the color grading of the film just kind of made it seem lighter. So, like I said. I don't think George Romero really plans this stuff out. I think he sees it in the editing and says, all right, we're going to run with it. Like, we can't go back and do reshoots. Like, we have – the footage we have is what we have. And so he was a master of just gathering as many angles as possible and as much coverage as possible and then just, you know, editing it together. So essentially, no, I don't I don't think he had this bright red blood to avoid an NC-17 but because NC-17 in the United States, especially and and that time too, I think it was more about sex. I mean, I, and I think from what I remember, I don't even know if the NC-17 rating existed. I may have been like X or not rated. And the only thing I can think of was the Last House on the Left, and that that movie is not very. 
it, it's not like gratuitously violent, but it's it's more violent in sexual nature because you know you have the rape scene, you have this like sexual like all these sexual over and undertones. So I think in the United States, and that's kind of in the modern era too. It's more about the sexual side and not so much the violent side. But I don't know. So that's kind of a long tangent way of answering. I don't think so. But that's that's kind of what I had to. That's kind of all what I had to say about this first opening third. Other than we get all of our characters, it really is establishing the violence of the film, and and he's kind of getting his other commentaries out in and out of the way before we focus on this main consumerism idea. Uh, well, let's for, actually, I, I kind of forgot to mention, let's talk about the redneck scene real quick, because I thought that this is kind of where the comedy starts to be infused, because this film is kind of tonally all over the place, but I think it works for the, per like, like, like you said, the personality of the film. I think that the comedy happens so randomly, but it works for, like, the 70s nature of the film. What was your take on this whole kind of, like, Hicksville redneck response to the the zombie apocalypse and 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 mind you this is way before kind of like the modern era where people are like yeah this is what would happen well it's actually funny because i was listening recently to um eli roth has a podcast about talking about like the the history of horror and everything and i think he was either talking to tarantino or stephen king about the history of horror films and everything, and he mentioned about Dawn of the Dead, how that he would explicitly like to live within the Dawn of the Dead universe if you had to give any <laughs> of any any post-apocalyptic landscape, he would like to live in George Romero's Dawn of the Dead universe the the most, particularly because of like scenes like this where it just like it's not that serious. It looks like a lot of fun. And it's like, anyone can survive, generally, slow-moving zombies. And, I mean, we're kind of from towns like this. Like, could you imagine where we're from originally, or not originally, but where we grew up? If something like this happened, I could totally see people doing this exact same thing. Oh, of course. And in high school, they joked about this. Like, not obviously, not referencing Dawn of the Dead, but they would joke about this. What they, like, what they do in this movie, they joke about that. We'll get our guns, we'll get our beer, and we'll just shoot zombies. And I, and, and that's really funny that, of course, Eli Roth would want to live in this, in this, in this universe of George Romero. Like, anyone could survive as long as you're just, like, you have half a brain stem. Like, it's, it's literally... And, and 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 I and I really enjoyed this segment. I mean, I, I'm gonna say that about every segment because this is my favorite film. Well, so I think this is the most fun segment, besides the mall part, like when they're like taking the money and shaking hands and putting on everything. Besides that, this is the most fun. Because this movie. is when like he, the George. Well, and it's also funny because the story around this is George Romero. You can't you can't make a movie like this anymore. And and he's definitely indie like he does not have big budgets backing his films maybe in his later days but not now in the 1970s and he called up the national guard and said hey uh can you you know bring some of your guys and just you know we'll film a f we'll film a movie and he was a local hero for you know in the pittsburgh area where this film was shot because of night of the living dead and you know night riders and all these films and they said yeah fuck it we'll come on and then you know they just filmed all this coverage and you know we just had this fun 
and then we get into the the um, the airplane or the airport segment, and it's just more you know tension building. I think world building, more building how inept <laughs> Stephen Flyboy is as a character at this point. Oh yeah. And just the com- and and just how well Roger and Peter work together. Also establishing that you know Galen Ross's character is not like Fran's character is not a damsel in distress because we have the <laughs> the the very famous scene of Flyboy and the zombie wrestling and Fran standing over him, and George Romero wanted her to run and you know scream like a damsel in distress, typical of these horror films at this time, and she said, "No, I'm not doing that." This is, I want a strong female character, and Fran would not do that. Now, the compromise seems to be that she just, just fuck all, and just stands there and not helps him. And, and you know, Flyboy gets the kill, picks up a zombie, or picks up a a, a, a hammer. Like a carpenter's and, hammer, And yeah. tries, to, tries to clock the zombie with his armpit. And, and it's funny, because in the European version with the cast ensemble, um, the, the actor that plays Peter... He or uh, Ken Foray, he even gives shit to the character of Steven. Yeah, what did he like, say? He's like, why did you think that that was a good idea? And and the guy that plays Steven says, uh, you know, I wanted to make it seem that he's a doofus, and that's the he only did that way. On purpose? Yeah, and then George Romero let it in the film. I guess because it's funny, because it's so ridiculous. But it's funny when you listen to that that cut, how the actors just give him shit. Because he think they're like, how did you think that that was acceptable to do? And he's like, hey, he's a doofus, man, and that's what he does. And he's like, it was his armpit, though. He's like, yeah, 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 it's in the film, though. What can you do? This was like thirty years ago. That's, that's <laughs> funny, actually. <laughs> yeah, but and and it's just you know, it's just a great scene for how ridiculous. And then we get you know the the classic running children zombies and how Peter has to gun them down. Very brutal scene, like in this kind of and it's very interesting segmented uh segment but but then you know we get past that and before we move on to the mall do you have any closing thoughts about this like airport segment well i thought the closing seek like or not the closing but like with the kids was interesting you get the you get the title zombie as well which is just like a one-off kill which is interesting i mean he he is the best makeup i mean he is the title zombie so it's interesting to to see that, but also the I didn't you miss the uh, the helicopter blade zombie? Oh shit! Yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, there's gonna be so many iconic kills that it's, it's dumb. Kind of, it makes no sense, but it's cool looking. Well, and that's kind of what Tom Savini. I'm glad you brought it up because Tom, Tom, like half of Tom Savini's work in this film was. How can we just kill people in interesting ways? So we have the shotgun zombie, like getting his the head blown off. We have the helicopter zombie. We have the you know the the, the, the you know the the title zombie. We have the screwdriver zombie. The we mall, have like the arm getting ripped off. Like yeah, this, and the it, arm the arm under the the which know, is the, which is a funny death, but in the yeah, mall then, like with the heart monitor. Yeah, you know we have that. Well, that's getting to the end of the film. We have you know. The guy getting his guts ripped open. We have, you know, Steven, his, his ultimate demise. Um, you know, Roger's ultimate demise. There's like, I feel like this film, and it's funny because in the closing credits, it's like Nurse Zombie, like Screwdriver Zombie. It's it's all, like, all the characters, like all these extras are defined by their kills. And that was like, you know, this helicopter zombie with Tom Savini. He's like, how can we kill people? 
what's what's an interesting way that we can kill people? And so the helicopter zombie, you know, he walks up. It's stupid, but he gets his head ripped off. Like he gets the top of his head ripped off. And the way they casted him, they just thought we need a dude with a big forehead so we can put everything and pack everything. So they got a dude with a big forehead and said, stand up and and then fall down when you feel the blood trip down over your face. And it's funny because when I knew how they did the scene, because Tom Savini like you know worked it out if you look at the bottom of his feet you can see the pumps running through yeah his hands. i've seen that yeah it's like the it, little tubes and everything and there's quite a few moments like that in the film there's later on we'll see i'll mention a, a moment how uh how tom savini got the effect of him like you know getting hit by a truck but we'll get there but you know i i think again the segment is just really it just sets more, you know, the character building between the four, the dynamic between the four, how Flyboy is a doofus, but it, you know, it sets up his kind of redemption towards the middle and end of the film. But then we we get the reveal of the mall with the, the theme plays, and it kind of gets a laugh now, but, you know, Steven asks, what the hell is this place? And Roger says, oh, it's one of those big indoor malls. And, and and George Romero mentioned it as well in the commentary. But you know, I feel like that that line would get a laugh in today's day and age because of how 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 common these malls are. Well, maybe not to ne- not today's day and age because malls are now frequently closing. But in that time, in the night in late nineteen seventies, malls were like just becoming a thing. I think the Monroeville Mall was one of the first ever malls, like metropolitan malls, built in the United States, so it just, it just kind of, it's like opportune, how it's like right outside of Pittsburgh, George Romero knew the owners of the mall, and now we get this film, but, you know, and this is kind of, this is when the consumerism ideas start, it becomes a little, a little bit more subtle at first, you know, they break down, they, they find their little, you know, supply room closet, and, and I think this consumerism, like, it has what they need. It has spam, it has water, it has, you know, a safe place away from the mall. But then once they start diving deeper and deeper into the mall, they get their more materialistic possessions. But, you know, it, we get this idea of the theme of why zombies are returning. But we'll get to that in a second. So what what do you have to say about this mall initially? Um, No, I like it. I, I do really like the initial flyover and then the theme song's playing. It is an introduction of a new character. Um, and, no, yeah, no, I, I think, I think it, yeah, it is the beginning of the consumerism angle. And, no, I just think it's a, it's a perfect introduction, again, like I said, to this new character. And, yeah, there's nothing really too much to say about that. Yeah. Well, when you say the intro, do you mean also when they, when they enter the mall and they start cleaning it up and everything like that? Well, I mean, I mean the intro, I feel like the intro ends when they start exploring the mall, like when they leave their little supply shack, but I also want to say, I feel like right now, the second parts that I have, the characters and the cinematography is going to start, uh, you know, more meshing together, like, uh, because now I feel like we're, this is when we can start talking about the characters and cinematography, because this is when we start actually exploring these characters and George Romero's camera work and his editing really start to shine at this, at, at this, from the two thirds to the end of the film, like the beginning of the second act to ne- to the end of the film. This is when his editing style, his pacing, his story, his characters, everything starts to really, this is when it starts to pick up. 
So what are what are your thoughts from this point to the end of the film? Like what what are the things that really stand out to you? I think well it's definitely the consumer stuff where the montage of them going to the mall definitely cleaning up all the zombies, killing all the zombies so we get like you said those those signature kills with the screwdriver zombie. Even even weird zombies like the Hari Krishna zombie. Ah, uh, there's so many other the baseball zombie the non zombie, the, the non zombie, the, the guy with the gun, like there, it's just so many iconic visuals. The fat zombie, there's weird, weird things like that. Also, I mean, then we get into that other section where they're kind of enjoying it, and then we get to the the bikers who have like n- no, no real concern for the world they're living in right now, and or the zombies, and that's when we get like, that's when the tone shifts again to like a comedic angle, and it kind of plays like like a Buster Keaton kind of thing or a Charlie Chaplin where it's like the physical comedy and the pies in the face. And then we switch again. It gets a, well, it could have been potentially more darker, but the shift of like everything starting to lose control. Um, what was the original question again? Sorry. Well, uh, I was asking your initial thoughts, but let me ask you before we begin, like I want to ask you about a specific character about Roger and his like inevitable descent into madness. And I-, I think it's really interesting because, you know, we get to the mall and I feel like Roger is kind of the straight laced guy in the be- in the first act of the film and his character arc is his de-evolution. And I really like it's when he gets to the mall is when he starts to go like really batshit insane. In that, you know, we get there, he's kind of the guy that's always laughing and always smiling, which is kind of, like, unsettling, but it also starts to set up, like, when they start blocking the exits, he starts, like, he's, like, having a fucking jolly old time, like, he's laughing, he's, he's screaming, he's like, yeah, this is great, but then, you know, he starts, you know, killing the zombies, and he's smiling, he's becoming, like, sadistic with it, and then, you know, he gets bit, and, and then his eventual, like, you know, driving to further madness because you know the the infection is affecting his brain and it just becomes this tragedy when he eventually turns into a zombie i think roger it's it's an interesting because it happens so quick it's kind of jarring but i i kind of really like the character of roger and his eventual descent into madness and how peter is this strong-willed character and having to watch his his you know I mean, I don't know, I would say good buddy, just how they interact, because I didn't really get that they were friends but in like the um, before they went in and stormed the projects, but it's, it's just kind of this big tragedy in their interactions with each other. No, yeah, I agree. I, I will say it was a little jarring. I remember watching the first time, I was like, oh, I guess Roger's crazy now, but... No, it is. It is. It is like tragic to see like their their budding friendship and growing closer together through tragedy and the end of the world, and then you see when he's closing up the exits that he's just kind of like taking pleasure and hooting and hollering at this thing. I guess like the adrenaline rush and of the danger, and then it eventually bites him in the butt, and then he then he gets uh, bit and everything like that. And then 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 the rest of the story plays out. But no, yeah, it is tragic. I think it's worth mentioning that the like primarily the second act is is dedicated to kind of introducing this idea of consumerism, but it's mostly just indulgent zombie 
like killing fantasies because most of the second act is them just like going through the going through the stores and kind of setting the lay of the land for the audience and themselves but they're just like killing zombies you know they're getting their initial supplies and they're killing zombies and they go back and like all right we're going to you know lock up the stores they lock up the stores and they and they and they close the exits and they and they and they kind of regain control of the mall and then they just go on this killing spree i think the second act is mostly just this uh this horror film of killing of you know of mass violence and and killing zombies in creative ways and then the third act kind of the end of the second act and beginning to the third act is when we kind of get this consumerism idea i feel like the third act begins when they kind of realize oh like they get bored with the mall now i have my own things and my own ideas about it's it's not about i feel like with george romero's films it's not about the realism of the situation it's about the themes and how the characters respond to it you, you should not go into a george romero film thinking about realism because that will just completely ruin the film experience for you because i remember in 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 our original episode i was talking about how fran i also we forgot to mention fran is pregnant and and one of the things that bothered me was fran is wants to leave the mall and I was like, that's completely irresponsible that this pregnant mother wants to abandon this, you know, this, this stronghold. But, you know, it's not about that. It's not about this realistic response to the zombie apocalypse. It's about this idea of consumerism and how, there is, how consumerism affects the characters. Because, you know, Roger's sudden descent doesn't make sense his psychosis break Franz wanting to leave the mall doesn't make sense why she thinks it's a prison is beyond me but when you kind of remove yourself from that idea that this is not supposed to be taken literal it's 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 kind of this i don't want to say a- allegory but it's just it's it, you're supposed to be more caught up with the themes of whatever the commentary George Romero is trying to talk about as opposed to are the characters responding to this in an accurate way or, or a realistic manner. So yeah. What do you have to say about that? No, I mean, I think, no, honestly, you just nailed it on the head. I yeah, all right. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. You nailed it. Like that. That's actually literally what I was thinking. So yeah. And, and I, and I think like the ending of the second act when they kind of have free reign, free reign of the mall and it's just a really like fun segment like it's like roger's death starts the at the third act but i i it's kind of, it's fun you know they're going to the grocery store they're just getting like hundreds of dollars worth of food with no consequences they're going to the arcade and having fun they're they're shopping they're doing they're buying guns they're renovating their apartment area like it's it's homey it's fun it's what we all think we would do in a zombie apocalypse in a mall we've all had this idea if stemmed if stemmed from this film or not we've all had this idea but then, you know, Roger's death kind of brings us back to reality. And and that's and this is when the film gets like extraordinarily dark. You know, Roger, you know, his death, he's screaming, he's writhing in pain. Peter is 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 by him the whole time. Fran kind of takes on this nursing role, giving him morphine, trying to ease his pain, ease his suffering. And then, you know, he's just this disheveled shell of a man. And he says, I'm not going to come back. But if I do come back, you kill me. And then we get this amazing segment where, with the eye patch that you mentioned, the eye patch um, doctor, commentator, uh, scientist. Uh, and he's saying, we have to, you know, 
remove kill kill all of them nuke major cities resort to these extremist ideas and and then meanwhile roger you know is reanimated and what's interesting is um scott reiniger the actor of of roger he's he says oh i had i had this idea of having a, a eye flicker back and forth when he wakes up but then when he notices peter that eye flicker is the old Roger actually trying to fight the like the zombification or the or being a zombie. But the moment he notices Peter, he turns into that zombie. When he starts to rise up, ro- all semblance of the character of Roger is gone. And then we get you know, and then he has to kill him. And then we get the burial and the funeral. But you know, it's this very emotional kickstart into the third act. Oh, that's really interesting. That that whole Roger dynamic. That oh, I actually really like that. Did did is that is that what he said like was going on in the movie, or was that just like an idea? Well, that's what Scott Reiniger added to the character of that scene. Like he said that in the commentary and in interviews, whether or not that was George Romero's idea. But this is when you know George Romero is very much an actor's director. I mean, not so much in this in the sense that he can get like these amazing performances but, but he's he like really, do, do what you think he trusts he, he really instincts. jives well with the with the actors and like if you think we should be doing this go for it yeah okay no i, I really like that actually and and that is i really do love that reveal when like the blanket gets pulled down and it's like pretty creepy where it's like roger's dead and like he's a zombie and it's creepy and i mean it is on the um on the cover art of uh your of your thing i think yeah exactly and, and it's know. perfect, and it is definitely just like a 180 of all of that, of just like, okay, this is actually this is actually where we are, this is where we've always been, so here we are now. It's not fun and games, this is the severity of the world we live in now. So yeah, and I think that, that that's really excellently well said, in that the severity of the world that we live in, like there are, I mean, we we kind of already been realizing there are, there are consequences in this world, but now... There, it's a main, it's the death of a main protagonist, and then we get into this kind of this idea that the consumerism, it's great at first, but then it essentially just kind of becomes numbing and boring, and it's non-fulfilling. It's superficial, and the characters kind of become very, I don't want to say depressed, but they come very sullen and 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 very quiet and there's obviously some tension in the group and that's kind of what this the the beginning of the third act is focusing on it's just how empty these characters are before we get into the bikers and and i think it's really excellently edited and just how kind of empty and depressed that these characters are despite having literally everything including safety that they that that consumerism is just you know making their life they like there's the the zombies seem better than this consumerism lifestyle yeah no definitely it it is it come we come to a crashing halt <laughs> so yeah exactly yeah. so and i think this is where the consumer well it's the third act where the consumerism really comes into play or his messages i should say come into play and so here, this is like the empty and shallowness of consumerism, and then it's reaffirmed by the biker gang. So Brian, why don't you describe this biker gang for us right now? So, uh, man, I, I mean, it just—it's just like it, it comes almost out of left field, where it's just 
I mean, it would make sense within like this post-apocalyptic genre. I mean, it even it's kind of, it's just a trope at this point, where it's like the badass biker gang who is like who enjoys living in this in this world without rules, just coming to play and everything. But this is like what I said. I was making like the Buster Keaton slapstick Three Stooges comedy kind of comparison, whereas it's another tonal shift where it's like funny and they and they don't care about the zombies they're not threatened by the zombies even though they absolutely should be and they're just looking just for pure helter skelter i mean it, even in the sense that like they just ride through the, the mall on their motorcycles they throw pies in the faces of the zombies they're jumping from the rafters with like swords um and that also takes another 180 as well from where it's like it's all fun and games until the zombies overpower you and then just rip you limb from limb. Yeah, no, literally. Um, but yeah, like I I just kind of felt in the film that that was just them having fun. I felt well, like... Again, it's an era of filmmaking that you can't do this today. They literally got like a local chapter of some biker gang and said, yeah, come on in. We'll Because f- they filmed this film at, I don't know, from like whenever it closed to like 8 o'clock at night to like 5.30 in the morning. And they had free reign of the mall. Like, I mean, I'm sure they had insurance, but I mean, it's not like it's not like deliverance levels where there was no insurance. It was probably like in between that. And they had this biker gang come in. And just ride free reign in this mall. I don't know how they filmed the riding scenes, or or like yeah, the riding or like the um just like the like stealing all the shit scene, but or the looting scene, but they did it, and they just had a hundred motorcycles come in and ride through this mall, and 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 again, it's just it's just this era of filmmaking. You can't do this anymore. And and you know obviously people almost got hurt, but it's just it's just so yeah definitely like it's so cool. And then, but yeah, and I think it's really interesting. This is where I think it's the heavy-handed nature of the materialism is so like forced. But I think I mean it still works in the context of the film. So it's just like they go into the stores and they just start taking shit at rent. They're stealing jewelry off zombies. They're they're, you know, taking the pies out of the bakery and just, like, slamming it in, in like, uh, in zombies' faces. They're doing the whole seltzer water. But there's, like, I think my favorite line of the consumerism idea is a guy takes a film, or, uh, I'm sorry, a guy takes a TV and his buddy's like, what the hell are you going to watch on that? He's like, yeah, you're right. And then he just smashes the TVs. But the point that he's going to take the TVs, even though there's no cable or satellite or anything, I think really just solidifies it like they're taking like goblets they're taking like money like nothing has value in this world but they're just taking for the sake of because it's stuff yeah yeah exactly it it just like is nonsensical to that point and and i and i think it's also again you're not supposed to take this film as seriously because peter gets the idea that we're just gonna lock all the stores and we won't make it easy Although they get into the stores pretty fucking easily, regardless if they lock the doors or not, and but I think what's important about the scene is that we it, it gets us and enable enables the audience to get to the scene how Stephen is gets to his demise. So so Stephen ultimately engages in the bikers because he gets he, he gets enraged because they're just taking what he thinks is rightfully his that they worked hard to get. 
and it and it alerts the bikers to their presence, and you know, be, they they have like you know skirmish back and forth, but Stephen he makes he makes it back into the elevator, tries going through the air or like through the uh, the ducts and the vents, but he gets shot in the arm. He goes back into the elevator to you know radio Peter, and as he's climbing up, you know the zombies open the door and just you know start eating away at him and be and you know they bite him and really mortally wound him bite him in the neck bite him in the arm bite him in the legs and you know it's just it's it comes out of nowhere like you're not expecting it because he's just about to make it out of the elevator and the doors open and he just gets bombarded by these zombies yeah no it's definitely a shocking moment and it's and, and, like, you already knew, like, the stakes were raised with Roger dying and being bitten and everything. But even still, like, it is a, it's a pretty iconic scene, too. Like, moment, I think. Like, the elevator doors open, and they're like, ah, and then they just kind of swarm them. And it really does illustrate the, what, what, why you should be afraid of, like, hordes, at least. Because they can. Like, if you get caught, you can escape, and you're dead. And, like, right before this scene we get the bikers that didn't make it out. Yeah, like you're saying, the danger of the horde. Like, dudes are getting ripped apart. Like, literally, the guy in the in the blood pressure cuff gets his arm, he gets ripped off. Again, it doesn't make sense, but it's just, like, a cool kill that he gets his arm ripped off, and then it's in the blood pressure machine. Of course, it's zero over zero. And, you know, a dude gets shot. He gets his stomach and guts pulled out. You know, people are just getting fucked up up by these zombies and steven's one of them and i think it's 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 very interesting because you're like oh my god like this guy's like he's dead but what's gonna happen and you know peter makes it back to friend that we're gonna wait for him and i think the best moment of the entire film happens here the best reveal the best zombie the the best like the the best shot f- segment of this film is Steven, the zombie. Yeah, when, he, when, the, when the doors open and he's a zombie. So Steven, or so um, David Imedge is easily the best zombie I've ever, ever seen in any zombie iteration. And George Romero also agrees. So George Romero is really big on not directing groups of zombies or groups of actors because then they're all going to do the same thing. So he said, do what you want to do. And that's fine. Like, some tips are maybe make it difficult to walk. But David Imedge, you see him, he looks like a puppet. Like, it doesn't, like, the way he moves, the way he twists his leg in, because his leg got bit, so he, so every injury that he sustained when he died, like, David Imedge tried to incorporate that, so his leg is busted, so his leg, like, turns inwards, his arm is, his arm is bitten, so it's, like, connected down to his his leg like it's straight arm and and rigid his neck is cocked because he got he got bit in the neck so and and he's and it's funny he's got this he's he had a revolver and it's just stuck around his finger and he's just it, it looks like a puppet it doesn't look like a real man i've tried walking like this and i've looked in the mirror and i'm like how the hell did he do this yeah no i just pulled it up on my phone again because i'm just like Oh man, I forgot how awesome that was, and I'm like, and I was I'm watching it as you're saying that. I'm like, yeah, it's it's seriously like professional. It it looks like a, a mind did it, you know? Yeah. 
someone and, with and so much control over their body did that. You know, well, it's not funny that because in the commentary where the where the cast gave David Ahmed shit for trying to kill a zombie with his armpit, they gave him the highest of accolades for this performance. And he's like such a humble dude. He's like, eh, you know, I tried. And I'm like, yeah, you did more than try. You've like succeeded. You like raised the bar for zombie walking and zombie portrayal. And, but what I think is just great about this is that, you know, it kind of, it, it, it starts to tease what George Romero explores more in Day of the Dead, but also he, he, he kind of mentions here, like, why are they coming to the mall? Because they just have this primal, innate memory that this is important to them. But Stephen remembers his past life a little bit. So he knows that they are, that the, that Fran and Peter are hiding behind this fake wall, and he brings a horde of zombies straight to their doorstep. Yeah. It, and is that... No, 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 that's not... Never mind. I was thinking, I was like, is that the Harry Krishna? But that's earlier. For whatever reason, I'm getting my zombies mixed up. But, um... Well, there's certainly a lot of them. But, you know, it's this great moment because Peter... Like, all the zombies have this really guttural yell. But Peter, obviously, is the alpha. And he's just got this deep, like really haunting yell and and just the way again the way he moves his body and he's just leading the pack to him like you could tell that everyone else is just kind of i don't want to say half-assing but they're like you know straight on like the frankenstein walk and you know david and med just really going hard like he's he's like struggling up the stairs and meanwhile people are just like lunging from foot to foot and he's like grabbing the arm rails like really making it seem like he wants to like eat peter and uh well, I guess because he knows, his zombie knows that they're there. Like, meat is up there, and everyone else is just following him. And then, you know, he gets the best, most graphic death, I think. You know, Peter shoots him with his iconic sniper rifle, and, like, the entire white wall behind him is just uh, covered in his brains. Like, he literally paints the wall with his brains. And, and then we get the segment where... This is where you were alluding to the darker ending. So, Brian, what what are you, what were you alluding to earlier? Well, it was it was the it was like a much bleaker ending where it was kind of like an all hope is lost where they, um Franny and Peter commit suicide. But the way they do, how does Peter commit suicide again? I only so, remember Franny jumping into the helicopter blades. So what had happened was Peter. So Peter goes into the room. He says, "I don't want to go." go on without me and he goes into the room and he has this little like 22 like derringer and he shoots himself and that and and, like the scene is set up that he shoots himself but then like last minute like the the film that we're given last minute he you know fights his way out gets into the helicopter and they fly off into the sunset it's unsure but enough hope that you're like okay maybe they got away but in the original draft and i've read the original screenplay where they actually follow through with this is that or like the first draft is that he shoots himself in that room so that's how he kills himself and then franny kind of all hope is lost doesn't see peter coming back throws herself into the the helicopter blades and that was the original ending and that was what the the head bust of galen ross was for that was used for that amazing shotgun kill in the beginning of the film was they were going to throw this into the helicopter blades and then end the film pretty much what they did with night of the living dead was just this bleak like no hope <laughs> ending but i think i think because george romero is like i've already done that i don't want to end this film on this like 
dour, depressing ending. And I guess we can kind of take the... I don't know if the history of, like, the United States at that time, you know... I mean, like, we're just coming... Like, Vietnam was just a decade later. I mean, I'm not saying he did this ending to kind of be hopeful, because it was not a war theme, but it's all about consumerism. But I think he was probably thinking, you know, let's give a happy ending. I've already done... Because this was, you know, way before he knew he's going to do Day of the Dead. Like, let's just do a happy ending. We've done the dark and dreary. Let's make it not totally, you know, happy, but hopeful. So that's what I think had happened. Okay. So that that's kind of the end of the film. I mean, we get this... It, 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 the, the tonal shift of the film is, you know, we start very serious, chaotic, kind of humorous, but kind of just setting the tone. Middle scene, or middle... The second act is all about the... You know, I don't want to say gratuitous violence, but the violence of the film. And the third act is really hitting home that that consumerism idea. And then we get the end. So, Brian, let's get into our closing thoughts and recommendations. Why don't you go first since I recommended the film? Yeah, so I'm glad you did this because I'm, I'm happy to have rewatched this film. It's definitely something that I'm glad I can appreciate and continually go back to at least once a year. Because at the end of the day, this is a good, it is a great genre piece, it is a great commentary, and it is a classic, it is a horror classic, for different reasons more so than others, and it's, it, it is, it is, it is, it is very refreshing going back to the roots of, of the horror genre as we know it today with George, George Romero, and Dawn of the Dead is, I feel like, a staple and a hallmark of that genre, and even subgenres and everything like that, as the mo- as the modern zombie keeps evolving into something different, or just staying back. And and I think I have the same results as like what I found in the first review is that I'm still a casual fan. I'm not really converted into the school of the mantle of George Romero, but that's not a bad thing. And so I think all things considered, I would definitely give this a. Um, Okay, it's been so long. How many stars do we give it out of five? We're giving it ten, out of ten stars. Sorry, it's been it's been a month since we did this, so um, it I I'd give it a good six point five seven out of ten. Oh, I know that's man. I know that's like insulting to you, but that's still a good movie. It's like a solid movie. Um, but also my other review is what I recommended to my girlfriend. Now, I don't know. I don't know if she would like it because someone I feel like to really appreciate it, you'd have to be like you'd have to at least be willing to be open to the genre itself. And I don't think my girlfriend really is. Now, that being said, I don't think I would recommend it to her. I think because there are other movies that I'd rather show her. So, yeah, unfortunately, I have to go with a no on that one. But that, again, is not saying that this is a bad movie. And I could be wrong, as I usually am with my expectations for her in these films. So, yeah. Well, what I got to say about that, if you're going to show her the film, just show her the European cut because it's the shorter version and it, it's it's more streamlined. But, man, that's 7 out of 10. I mean, it's not... That's not... It's, it's, a, it's a... I don't know. I, I, I disagree with that. But, especially because I'm going to change what I said from my original, like, way back, my original. So, my closing thoughts, I mean, obviously, I... And this is my favorite film of all time. I, I I love everything about it. I can't like this is the film that kind of led to this creation of this podcast. Me wanting to make movies. My fascination with film and film history. The story 
I mean, I love the story. I love the actors. I love the violence. I love the zombie. I love George Romero. I can't, I, I can't really say anything negative about this movie. So I, I'll just leave that as, as like my closing thoughts. And my first recommendation, I think I gave it like a, I think we did it out of five stars. I think I gave it a four out of five. Yeah, no, after, after reflection and watching this film again for this, I, I'm giving this a 10 out of 10. This, this is the, this is a perfect film in my mind. It's it's my favorite film. Now, other people might disagree, but to me, this is a perfect film. It's a 10 out of 10. I can't recommend this enough. I love this movie, and I I don't know. I'm just glad that we could revisit revisit this, and hopefully this is this is the, the, you can pair this with the the one way way back almost 4 years ago this summer. But I love this film. 10 out of 10. So, with that, guys, that, can, that concludes this episode of Amateur All Tours. Thank you again for listening and kind of coming along for this journey. For longtime listeners, I, I'm sure this is coming full circle because we started the show with Dawn of the Dead and now we're, you know, we're, we, we're evolved and we're coming back to it. So we might, I, I was thinking we might do some revisitations again of, of past episodes, but we'll see. It's not on the docket anytime soon, but I'm glad we come back to Dawn of the Dead. So Brian, what do you have to say about that? Uh, in terms of revisiting episodes, we're never going to do Snatch again. But, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I'm glad we were able to do this. And, yeah, come full circle. I think that is a good uh, description of this episode. And I'm glad yeah, we exactly. did it. So, with that, guys, thanks again for joining. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Pod or email us with any you know questions, comments, concerns at theamateuraltourspodcast at gmail.com. And, as always, we'll see you next time on Amateur All Tours.